Welcome to Afterlives with Kara Cooney, in which we discuss ancient Egyptian history and relevant current events that we think will be of interest to our audience. I am Kara Cooney, and I'm a professor of Egyptology at UCLA. This podcast is separate from my teaching and research roles at UCLA. In recent years, I've become active in communicating with the general public about the history of ancient Egypt through lectures, interviews, social media, books, and guest appearances. This podcast is my opportunity to take the kinds of deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats. Hello. Hey, hey, Gordo. How are you doing? I'm, uh, I'm okay. I'm surprisingly not stressed given all that I have to do over the next two weeks. And given the fact that I will almost certainly miss my deadline with American University and Cairo Press of August 1st, and with the knowledge that I will be working for the next two weeks into August on the photo essays. Yep. But it's, But you they're know, flexible about these things usually, because they... Usually, except for copyright reasons, I need this book to come out yes. when I need it to come out. So I need to be in proofs by the end of the year before the copyright expires. True. So there is a hard out that if I don't make, I'm, I don't want to say I'm screwed, what? We don't want to go there. We don't want to even try <laughs> to deal with that problem. Yeah. So given that um, that difficulty, I'm okay. I just, you know, I, I started reading chapter one and um, working through that writing and working through, because I, I had like three different, four different people read it. Mm-hmm. And, and now I have those so you notes. You got your peer reviews back and everything. I, I haven't gotten the official peer review okay. back, no. But I've gotten notes from colleagues whom I really trust. Okay. And, and so, oh no, the peer review and the other things are kind of happening at the same time. It's kind okay. of a mess and I'll get my peer review. Um, and then I'll have to put those changes in, but, um, I, I think it's going to be okay. So I'm, okay. I'm doing a, a number of changes right now and I'm reading through the text chapters and then I'll get to the photo essays, which are so difficult. They take so much of your brain mm-hmm. and soul and heart. And well, and it's always hard too because you're like, I looked at this like how many years ago yeah. to like bring yourself back to that place, and you're looking at your notes and you're yeah. like, what was I thinking then? And that part's okay. As soon as I have the picture next to me, I do have to read through the thing first, mm-hmm. and then I can do it. But it takes so much of my concentration. And also, here's the hardest part. You know what our lives are like. That we we teach part of women in power and then we go run off and do something else. And, you know, I also have a kid and mm-hmm. then I do something, this other thing. Yeah. And I'm fragmented to make it through a photo essay. I need to at least keep with one coffin set at a time, which mm-hmm. means I have to give, I have to contribute concentrated thought for hours at a time and not break it. Yep. Because as soon as I break it, then I'm like, wait, did I say that mm-hmm. or did I not? Like you just stay on the same page. Yes. Yeah. And stay with the same coffin and don't put it down until it's mm-hmm. done because my memory is not going to be such that when I come back to it two days later, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that tiny little detail on the top mm-hmm. right of the inner coffin lid. I mentioned that already. You know, I'm not going to remember yep. that. So it's um, it's it's fine. It's just a lot of it's a lot of fiddly work, which I am good at, but I have to put myself into the persnickety space of weeds and detail. Yeah. And then I can. I well, can and do just it. with everything else going on, it's hard to carve out that yeah. those hours needed to really get, you well, know, make headway on. And then like a that. January sixth hearing will happen. I know, and, I and then you're like to totally distracted. Shit. Yeah, I need to hear that shit, and I need to be gobsmacked with the rest of the fifty percent mm-hmm. of the world that's listening to that. And um, yeah, so I, you know, then I'll I'll go on a long walk and take my my YouTube with me and listen to the taped hearings because I just. 
It's very interesting. Oh, and yeah. I have been avoiding news and politics for so long. But for whatever reason, I can listen to this shit. Mm-hmm. And well, because it's so like, you're like, oh, shit. And the way they have it, like, it's pr- so the well production done. of it. Yeah. And they're like, and then so-and-so suddenly cuts to the tape. And you're like, yes. oh. <laughs> it's like a brilliant documentary. Uh-huh. It's insane how how riveting it is. Yes. And so I can't look away like everybody else. And to see that these things could happen in our government, again, it's kind of like when you study ancient history and you read about the Praetorian Guard turning against Mm -hmm. the emperor, and you're like, that would never happen here. And then you have all the Secret Service shit and Pence being afraid to get in the car. I mean, just, it's crazy to be able to make these connections. Um, Not that I'm I'm like full of schadenfreude at those people who said, you can't compare the ancient and the modern. Oh, a little bit, yeah. but you know, um, it's nice to see how relevant history is and mm-hmm. how relevant um, antiquity is to understanding the kinds of things that we're going oh, yeah. through. Because this is some crazy shit. I know. My mom tapes it and then like watches it at night as like her like it's <laughs> prime time TV. Yeah, it's the TV that she can't put it, that she must binge watch. I totally get it. So that that hasn't helped with the writing, and there's going to be more of that next week. God damn it. So I try to put that together with exercise and I'll mm-hmm. be like, if I'm exercising at the same time, then I can listen yep. to it. Otherwise, no. But um, that's how I am. How are you, George? I'm good. <laughs> Similarly busy and pulled in many different directions. Because um, you're TAing. Or you're TAing, the lead TA. Lead TA, yeah. TAing, my other job. Yeah. Now that I'm full grant writer. What is it like? It's good. It's also that we have a new boss. So it's like getting him up to speed and um you know just finding our new workflows and all these things yeah. but grant writing is good taking some classes and doing awesome. my online so i'm a student again too taking my online grant writing courses and it's all good but. i think it's great that you're doing this grant writing like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll pull you in on contract for things someday i don't know yeah um grant writing i've never had the the patience to do it alone I am really good at grant writing. Maybe it shouldn't. I'm really good at it with a partner. Like Jonathan and I are working on another one. We won the UCOP, Mm -hmm. the University of California Office of the President one before. Um, And we're working on a Getty one. That I can do. But doing it alone, I just want to kill myself. From my course, it's never should be done alone. You always should have your stakeholders and you all get together and you make this like plan of attack. Right. And you get all your like, what's the need and what are we asking for? How will it help? And all these things done first. And then you always have someone like peer reviewing it and helping you. And and also writing those NEH and NSF grants. It's like writing a goddamn book. Mm -hmm. And I'd rather just write a goddamn book. Yeah, I know. the, The government ones can sometimes be... A beast. So you have to, you can't do it by yourself, right? There okay. has to be someone coordinating. There may be someone like more doing the writing, writing and someone for like us, it's like someone's just solely doing the budget. Cause like you need someone just like solely focused on budgeting and Lord, that's a fire truck. I was ambulance. like, what is that? So and it's probably good. going across the street. Cause the lady across the street keeps calling the ambulance like almost every night. Sick. Obviously. Oh. <laughs> or, or sick. something. And then they go in, they spend 20 minutes in there, and then they leave without the person. Well, I was on campus yesterday, and it was, like, just a hot mess of messness. How did the fire start? So, well, first... Parking garage five. Well, first, I don't know how, what that related to, because first I was in the gym doing Pilates, and then they they come around, and they're like, we're evacuating the building. In the middle of class? Yeah, I was like doing my legs and we're all like working like getting we're like 10 minutes 20 minutes into oh, Pilates I know it was I, wish it was I was 50 like 50 minutes that's awful yes so it was like I only got leg work done and didn't oh. get anything else but 
Um, so they're like, oh, we're evacuating the building. Can you all please like hurry out? And we're like, okay. And they're like, there's a supposed gas leak, which was nothing actually, but they had to call, someone smelled something, I guess. Oh my God. And so they had to call the you know, fire department. They had to come check everything out and it was nothing. But it was by the time they said it was nothing, it was like my class was over anyway. And then at the same time, there was a fire near the Fowler. Yes, and in Parking Garage 5. Parking Garage 5, there was a fire that and then so i don't know campus was a weird i was like should we just go home i was like i feel like the gods are sending us a sign we should just go home yeah but we didn't we stayed and we did work and but yeah so mainly we've been you know got into a good routine of you know getting out of the house every day and going to either the library on campus or to my place of work to do work so so we're getting getting worked on, so that's good. That's awesome. But Spark uh, spoke at the Bowers last weekend. I heard that went so well, and I'm sorry I couldn't come. No, you're fine. I think it I was went, in Hawaii. Where you were, was I? You were in Hawaii. Yeah, I was in Hawaii. No, it, it went really well. So um, that was fun. Good to speak to people and get good feedback. I heard you had a good great commentary. crowd. Yeah, good crowd, actually. Awesome. They apparently, I guess, haven't been having a lot of big crowds because of COVID and everything, but that it was bigger than they expected. So that's, that's awesome. good. But yeah, otherwise, happy to be podcasting. It's a yeah. beautiful day. It is. Can't I complain. like the cloudy with the sun. Yeah, nice and breezy. I went, I got a pool pass. Sometimes I do a oh. resort pass because when work is just too much and I'm like, fuck it all. And I get a resort pass and I bring all my work and then I do it poolside mm -hmm. and it helps me to yeah. chill out and not stress. And maybe you have a cocktail in hand, yeah. maybe not. And I got a resort pass. Um, Right, right near the airport, one of oh, the cool. LAX airports, and had my pool and was sitting out there and had had a, a can of wine, <laughs> and it was freezing. I'm like, oh, it's July in LA, and I'm cold, mm -hmm. and I booked the one without a hot tub, and I'm like, damn it, why didn't I get the one with a hot tub? You go to like the valley or something, and then it'll uh, be nice and toasty for yeah, you. Yeah, it would have. Mm -hmm. It was freezing because you know, close to the ocean and everything. Yeah. And I the was rainier. like, you should be grateful, Kara, that you can't be yeah. outside in July without getting goosebumps. Well, all of Europe is in like a crazy weird, I yes. was talking to Mate and Kylie last night and Mate's like, and to Vilica, and they were all like, it's so hot here. It got hot again, because I, I heard They it said it's hotter down. than Egypt in oh. Northern Italy right now. Oh. And like, London's like 40 or something, which is like unheard of. That's Like 105 insane. in London. They're in like some super heatness. So as I'm, I'm freezing so. out by my pool, I got I got two cans of wine, you know, because they put it in cans. Well, that will warm now. you up. And I'm and I was I was like, oh, I feel better now. And I was drinking my cans of wine. And then I'm done with my pool time. Remy's coming to pick me up. We're gonna go get something to eat. It's just the two of us, no kids. And I'm putting on clothing, and I'm like, I'm drunk. This is ridiculous. And no, I hadn't eaten a whole lot, yeah. but like, still, but I was. You. I'm I can handle my alcohol, yeah. and this was unusual. And so I get in the car. I'm like, Remy, I, I'm sorry, I'm a little drunk. Um, he goes, well, what'd you drink? I'm like, I only had two cans of wine. He goes, oh, sweetheart. <laughs> he goes, you drank a whole bottle. I'm like, no. He's like, you pour that can of wine into a glass yeah, and you see how much it fills. Ounces. And I went, oh shit. Yeah. And, and so I, you know, this is typical. It's deceiving. Yes, you're like, oh, it's like, like a can. Just, it's like beer. It's I like just I had, had a two glass beers. of wine. And no, like, I no. didn't. Like I slammed a bottle a of wine yeah. in no time at all. Um, but it was a fun resort hey, past day. Everyone has to, you have to have those days. Sometimes <laughs> you just need a bottle of wine by the pool. And then we went to sushi and I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was, it was good. It was that's fun. fun. So I, that's what I did. <laughs> that's great. I love it. 
I need to do a pool pass, apparently. You haven't done resort no. pass? No. It's the that's, best. I said, that sounds like a good idea. So you go to resort pass, you get, uh, they should pay me money. Resort pass, call me up and we'll, yeah, like, we'll be your sponsor or yeah. whatever. But you pay anywhere from $25 to $200. What we could do sometime is get a cabana. <gasps> and yes. if you can, you can get we can four to six it. people in yeah. the cabana. And even if it's a $300 cabana, it's totally nothing. worth it. And you can... You, and then you work. get drinks and stuff, yeah. and it's so much fun. Let's do that. I love it. And there's like, so many different pools pool you can choose and, from. Yeah. yeah. I don't really, I like the beach, but I'm not the biggest. I avoid ocean the West person. Hollywood pools because they're too young and hip for yes. me. And we want they're calm very loud. And, relaxing. and yeah. I like calm and relaxing family yeah. style. And so like... that's why I picked LAX. And I got a room. I did an $80 oh. room pass. So I had the desk. Oh, so you could And I like... got shit done. And there was, and then, like, it was you could awesome. shower mm-hmm. and after the pool and all this stuff. It was great. It was really oh, that's great. Really nice. Yeah, that was eighty bucks. That was a little more expensive, but still not bad. Uh, if I do a nice pool, then it's like forty dollars. It's not bad. I wanted to go to a Korean spa, but I can't go to a Korean spa in the middle of COVID. No, I can't it's do that. Too much. It's all indoor, yeah, and everyone's breathing out moist. Steam. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, I'll do an outdoor resort. Yeah, no, that sounds it's really been, nice. It's been good. Awesome. Well, should we get to get to the episode? Yeah. What are we doing today? So today we're doing um, the July version of the Patreon questions. Okay. I love Patreon so, questions. You never know what they're going to be. We have I'm, a lot of I'm good surprised. ones. Yeah. So thanks to all of our patrons on both from Patreon and on our um, Discord channel for submitting these. I will name your names, either your usernames or your first name, but I won't do last names. Okay. That's awesome. To keep anonymity. <laughs> no, no. Such a hard word. Anonymity. An- <laughs> Anonymity. I can Anonymity. I can say that one. So hard. To I say. have a hard time with hypnotism. hypnotism. I have to. I have to that think very good. hard hypnotism. to say hypnotize. And I also have a hard time with Vietnamese. I've told you Vietnamese. this, right? I, when yes, I don't I think feel about like it, I remember the Vietnamese. I say it Vietnamese, and I sound awful, like a horrible racist person. I have yeah. to go Vietnamese, and then I can say it's it. Weird how just certain things, certain are words, tongue, we get tongue tied. Yeah. Um, anonymity. Okay, anonymity. we give them anonymity. Okay, so our first one is from Joshua. Okay. And they write, So I was wondering about female significance in power, and as a rel- as a relative expert on the topic in Egypt, I figured I would ask. Wait, that would be me? I'm yes, the expert? you're the okay, expert. Cool. <laughs> the context is king departure. It is known that females can assume roles of the king, but this is in times of king of the king's ultimate demise. Yeah. The question is, is there any evidence for the queen being the fill-in for the king while away on campaigns or other outside duties? So if the king's like outside the country or, I don't know, doing something else. The pop culture references would state that the loyal wife has the king's best interest in mind and does what she can to ensure his status does not decline. And that fits the scenario of the loyal wife or partner. I'm sure there's almost no evidence for this, um, but I haven't delved on this topic um, and they're currently writing their master's thesis right now, and they're hoping to look more into it after that. There's so much evidence for this. The fact that I wrote a book about the five women who became king and then one who was buried like a king mm-hmm. just means that I didn't focus on them. But you could focus on those women who ruled, quote-unquote, behind the throne mm-hmm. or were there holding down the fort in the absence of their husband. And this is a... I can think of, like, one great... Who's the like who are you thinking of? Yes, Ahotep's and a perfect example. And and what what kinds of things would you put together with? Well, with in her, her in her burial, mm-hmm. we have all these emblems of war, yeah. emblems of war. She's buried with all these uh, an axe and uh-huh. all these things. And I think there's, I'm not sure what of the evidence, but that she was at Dir al Balas 
kind of ruling everything back home while her husband was out, you know, consolidating the country, kicking, yeah. the, kicking the Hyksos out. And, yeah. Um, she's also later, those 17 dynasty queens are like later kind of worshipped mm-hmm. as gods, goddesses within the area and, you know, obviously strong females. You could go pretty systematically through each of them. You could look at Teddy Sherry. Yeah, Teddy Sherry. Um, 17, late 17th Dynasty and that. see how during the wars against the Hyksos that she's there in the Theban region holding things down. You can look at Ahotep. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, her tomb even has golden flies in it. Yes. Oh, yes. The golden flies that are flies of valor, right? Or yeah, because connected the, to military. There's a famous text, uh, an autobiography in a tomb of Ahmose, son of Abana. Mm-hmm. Have you been there? No, I've never went. At, um, uh, where, oh shit. El Cobb. El Cobb. No, wait. No, it's not, is it El Cobb? It is El Cobb. Yeah, Cobb. It is El Cobb. Yeah, so yeah, it yeah. is, uh, Nekeb. Not Nekeb. Yeah. Nekeb. Okay, at El Cobb, at Neken. Um, so in Ahmose, son of Abana's tomb, he talks about how they're fighting these battles, all of the elites, mm-hmm. and every time they take a Hyksos hand, um, that when they kill a Hyksos warrior, mm-hmm. they take the hands, they string them on necklaces around their necks, then they give them to the king, and in return, the king's, king gives them a, co- a solid gold fly yeah. of valor. And the fly is representative of the flies that feast on the enemy corpses. I know it's pretty brutal. And the fact that those are in Ahotep's tomb, along with an axe, as you say, emblems of war, emblems of masculine power. Um, it's, it is highly suggestive that she was ruling for her husband while he was away at war. And then, of course, there's the famous Ahmuz Nefertari, mm-hmm. whom you mentioned was worshipped in, it had a long afterlife yeah. of being worshipped as a goddess of the Theban region. And she was ruling with her, her husband, um, Ahmose, and then, who was also her full brother mm-hmm. or half brother a full brother i believe mm-hmm. and and then her son amenhotep the first she ruled alongside him mm-hmm. and probably acted as regent for him and then when he didn't have any children was probably key in pulling in Tutmos the first yep. to um who was probably a close family member to come in and save the dynasty um so that it wouldn't all fall apart in a great heap so this kind of thing happened with regularity and then a, another 18th dynasty example that comes to mind, uh, besides Ahmose Hatshepsut's mother, mm-hmm. and I do talk about her in my book, The Woman Who Would Be King, so you can look there um, for a lot of these other women. But you could talk about Nefertiti mm-hmm. as being a... Mm-hmm. Uh, being like actually like a co-king. But even before that, oh, she yeah. must have been something. Like a lead, the lead up to her becoming co-king must have been so important that he was able to trust her and bring her in as co-king mm-hmm. because she's the only one that takes power from being a king's royal wife mm-hmm. with the king still alive yeah. and then takes power on an equal par yeah. with her husband mm-hmm. or almost equal par. And no, he didn't go to battle, and but he certainly went to some sort of fanatical religious battle of the mind. And as he went yeah. to these places, she took on more practical ruling roles mm-hmm. and if she was soul king after his death then she had to clean up the the fanatical mess that he made mm-hmm. and that but that's its own you know nefertiti really deserves her own her own story she's super interesting but presumably too there was instances sometimes where the male was maybe the king at the time was maybe young or um 
I don't know, there's so much like incest and inbreeding going on. There has yeah. to be times where maybe the male wasn't fit and the wife from an, you know another family or something would kind of take over mm-hmm. behind the scenes mm-hmm. and or the vizier or something would be, you know, leading the king. Yeah, it, you know, if it, he wasn't mentally. It's its own interesting research question. So if you're working on a master's thesis on this, that's really cool. I would bring in some comparisons because it would, it's, I think Egypt is unusual in allowing females so much regularized power, not just as kings, but as those ruling the family in the king's absence. Mm -hmm. And other places I don't think allow quite as much of that and instead push the power towards an uncle or a brother Mm -hmm. or a son, somebody else who has a penis (laughs) and not the female. But um, I I would also look to Greece where you don't Mm -hmm. see women able to step forward except in Sparta. that's an oversimplification, sure, but you can check up on that. It's interesting history. And But I would look to Rome, yeah. where women really are able to step forward in the absence of the paterfamilias, able to step forward and wield the money, wield the, some of the mm-hmm. political power, um, and engage sometimes sexually, sometimes just socially, politically, with other families and the leaders of other families mm-hmm. to try to get what, what people need. Yeah. And, in the in the late republic it's super interesting because oh, yeah. all these dudes are out on civil war mm-hmm. for years at a time and then their wives are at home and no this isn't an absent king but it's an absent leader of the family and then you see what these women are, are able to do well and if they have like a good marriage like regardless of love or whatever but if they're like partners yeah right presumably like the wife would be looking out for things while he's gone writing him letters filling him on the gossip and all these things like um, you know, making sure like people aren't trying to stab him in the back while yeah. he's away. And, yeah. you know, she's a partner in many of these. Well, you know, things. one of the best examples from women in power is Zimri Lim mm-hmm. and his wife. What's her name? God. Yes. And Zimri Lim has a wife and she's like the leader of his harem. She's writing him letters while he's fighting all the time. She keeps him up to date on mm-hmm. what's going on in the household. And, you know, that the daughters who have been sent off to certain places are, are fighting with their husbands and all kinds of stuff. So you, you get this... Sheep too? Sheep too. Yeah. Um, so she, she's a wonderful example of a woman who's ruling the roost, if you like, in mm-hmm. the absence of the king. Um, so Mesopotamia would be a good comparison yeah. as well. Yeah. They, they, this is all over the world. This is a constant... Any- well, I mean, anytime, because marriages are always bringing together of different patronage, patronage networks. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, in most cases, the wife does have a role in her own connections and yeah. all these things. So, um, Well, it's it also is a defensive strategy. If you bring in a man and you're like, only he with a penis can wield the power, whatever simplistic patriarchal bullshit you may come up with. You're bringing competition into your situation. So if you're away fighting a war, going to battle for another, whatever it is, um, and you bring and you let your brother come into the household, your brother could take over that household. But the wife poses no threat. But the wife can't raise an army. The wife doesn't have the social foundation to do these things. Not that women aren't competitive or ambitious. That's not my point. But within patriarchal societies, women don't have the... She'll be wanting to hold it so that her son can then take it. Yes, it benefits her to keep every bit of the status quo intact and um, to not push back against her husband. Yeah. We're watching this new show on stars that's like becoming elizabeth about uh, elizabeth 
the first and oh, her when she's younger. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because it's like her, Mary, um, and then her brother, Edward the Seventh or whatever. Oh, wow. And it's like all this, but it's all the adults like using them, right, to their for their wins. All these and, very important children. And they're just children being used. And then it's like her slowly gaining like awareness of this and um, choosing then her own path and all this, which is interesting. That's very interesting. It's a, it's a good show. The only weird thing is it's, it really focuses on this relationship she has with one of the like cabinet members. Um, and what's his name? Which one? Um, Thomas Seymour. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's Jane Seymour's brothers mm-hmm. kind of are in charge after Henry dies. Okay. Because Jane Seymour is the mother of Edward. Edward the VII? Yes. Or sixth? Yeah. Edward the Seventh is different. Yes. Sixth, yeah. Um, yeah. And he has like this weird relationship with Elizabeth, which they in the show make kind of like lovey, but also clearly like grooming. Yeah. But then if you look at the actual letters, she writes about being like scared of him and stuff huh. and like always getting up early so he doesn't come into her bedroom when she's not like unclothed Ooh, and she's 14 and he's like 30. These are real letters that she yeah. wrote about this. They have like, they have, um, yeah, like written accounts of people being like, well, he used to go in her bedroom and Damn. so she started and she would like avoid him and, but in the show they do a good job of him like mentally controlling her with like, she clearly has a crush on him. So then he like pursues it. Oh, that's kind of gross. But it's icky because like I'm like, and in the show they're like she's 14, and he's clearly not. Well, as even. you know, Jordan, it half of the country says that that girls can give consent with, it's true. with at the age of 10. So there we mom. are. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with full consent. God bless you. Whatever. Um, any, anyhow. Okay. <laughs> gross, but it's a good show. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The cool. costuming and stuff is really well done. Oh wow. Okay. Our next question is from Drew Varney, the vampire. So awesome. So hi, longtime listener, first time asker. That's awesome. I have a question about how the ancient Egyptians, who could be considered a death positive culture, uh-huh, so we can uh-huh. talk about that. Yeah. How did they view and deal with those who committed suicide? Ah. Um, and not, so we talked about this on the Discord channel. We were all kind of talking about it. And then we, we talked about like, Sometimes we, we have a couple instances of people wishing to die when they're really old or like the man in his bar, yeah. that. He's thinking more towards those who committed suicide due to depression or mental illness. As someone who's lost people to depression, I was curious how a death positive culture handled some or someone who suffered from suicidal thoughts. Are there any you know, evidence on how to console the people they left behind, any changes to burial practices or any preventative measures? Ah, Drew, I wish there was, it's such an interesting question, but, and I really wish I could help you answer this, Um, but, and and Jordan, correct me if you know of any evidence Mm -hmm. that speaks otherwise, but I don't know of anything, if if Egypt is a death-positive culture, it's also circumstantially positive in avoiding discussing any mechanisms of dying. Yeah. And so whether the person it died... It skips that moment. It skips it. Whether they died <laughs> life of... to afterlife. To, tuberculosis or suicide or in war, none of that is touched upon. It is yeah. not discussed as if it is too dangerous it's to veiled. touch. It's like the king, when he dies, it's, mm-hmm. he flew off, flew to the... Chorus flew to the sky or whatever. It's all, all kinds of euphemisms are, are used. Exactly. When the king dies, the, the falcon flies off to heaven. Mm-hmm. And you as a student are taught in the classroom, oh, that means he died. Yeah. And you're like, ah, I got it. He died. We're just passing to the west. Right. 
So, so no one ever talks about whether an Egyptian had a good death or a bad death. Mm-hmm. No one talks about um, sickness. You might get some of this stuff in prayers, like there might be some pious prayers where people complain about having been blind and that God allowed them to see, or, mm-hmm. or please, God, I cannot see and help me to see to the God Amen or whatever. But, but you, don't, you don't get those circumstances, which, and then I'll give an answer to this and you can tell me what you think, but like, it means that the Egyptians, in my opinion, because suicide is a normal mm-hmm. human thing. It's something mm-hmm. that I have to imagine happened in ancient Egypt. And depression and mental illness. Depression like, is a normal human thing. Around. And, and um, economic problems, social problems, things that are unsupportable in a social environment. This is, this is the way, you know, we put ourselves in a certain strictures and boxes of expectations. And when we cannot meet those, we, we can fall apart, yeah. right? So the Egyptians must have been like this. Yeah. You fall in love with somebody you can't have mm-hmm. or whatever it is that makes Forced people- Forced to do something you don't want to. Marry or, somebody you yeah. don't want to marry. Um, too many children die, too many miscarriages, all kinds of things. So it can be circumstantial or you are born with a condition mm-hmm. that uh, is part of our genetics and um, yeah. must have some sort of an evolutionary um, reasoning behind it connected to our social cohesion as as primates but that means that the egyptians aren't judging it mm-hmm. they're not separating it out they're not doing what a judeo-christian islamic mostly christian um tradition would do by separating them out and putting them in an unconsecrated graveyard yeah. and marking them as sinners or bad or anything like that they're not they're not um ostracizing them in mm-hmm. death and they're not um creating special ritual conditions, which means that no matter how you die in ancient Egypt, at least as an elite, and I have to assume also as a peasant, you got the same as what other people got. And that's, that's kind of nice. Whatever you could pay for. (laughs) Whatever you could pay for. It's Mm -hmm. true. But there's no evidence that so if you weren't baptized, you, as a baby that wasn't baptized, you have to go like to the, no. the pauper's grave. Yeah. No, and, and if you take the baptism equivalent for ancient Egypt, which would be the heart scarab, which has a prayer on it that says, O heart of my mother, O heart of my mother, do not speak against me in the hall of judgment. Essentially baptizing yourself after death so that any sins that you have committed or wrongdoing, whatever it is, you will be cleansed of it. Mm-hmm. And your heart is going to be like, yes, we're cleansed. And you don't say what you've done that's wrong. You say, I am clean, I am pure, I am pure. And that's what, that's the message you go with. Mm-hmm. So if anybody committed suicide, they would just go in with a positivist understanding of, of getting to the next space. It, you could kind of call it a, a sort of denial, but denial is a very powerful human mm-hmm. thing as well and can get us lots of, to lots of places that we wouldn't be able to get to otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what do you think? My two things I think of are, I would like to hope, I don't know if this is me, again, just looking back on older circumstances with, pos- you know, positive lens, but I would like to think that being in a smaller knit community in a more, you know, large family setting that you would have a lot more um, community and family things to fall back on if yeah. you were in this type of situation, where now so many people like, don't have anyone yeah. and are just alone in their apartment. Yeah. So you can like suffer. So you're saying there's less depression, less loneliness and less suicide in a village lifestyle. I think 
part of the reason why we have such high rates of it now in the yeah. States is yeah. because we aren't really good at focusing on community and having these support networks and we're all too individual individualistic I think but Jordan why don't um, you like your late stage capitalism fun and exactly. looking at your Instagram self and constantly critiquing your body and thinking that you should be more ambitious why don't you enjoy that I don't know does it make you feel happy <laughs> I don't understand um, but I would like to think that having those supports around you mm -hmm. would help you obviously you'd still have depression and all these things happening people dying in your family is still sad and all this stuff but that you would have yeah better coping mechanisms than yeah. we do nowadays where it's just like oh take this pill or oh yeah walk a little get some exercise right like i don't know a better mentality around it but the even just the, as, as drew stated in his question that egypt is a death positive yeah. place that right there indicates that egypt is putting a, a shit ton of energy and ritual and preparation into managing emotion, managing expectations of emotion, managing mm -hmm. grief, um, getting people through rites of passage in a way that we do not do. Yeah, we avoid those things. For instance, I just watched um, uh, a, a colleague sent me a YouTube on a Tibetan vampire, anti-vampire spell. Cool. Six parts done mm -hmm. by this Oxford professor. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, I have to, we, there's no Amber here to remind us, so somebody's got to remember. But um, it's this six part YouTube, and I only watched the first two because it, all the, it was were like two solid days of prep, of making a flower, making all mm -hmm. of these different um, symbols and things, and like super carefully done. You had to create this basket and you had to form it and you had mm -hmm. to put the, the image that was going to take the vampire's, you know, evil eye and put it inside and you had to cover it. Then all of it had to be painted with this bright red material. I mean, it took forever. And that kind of um, preparation, we, we don't, we don't do that much of it. If we do, it's for an Instagram photo yeah. or, um, or a wedding, uh -huh. but we don't, we don't really prep even parties you know you kind of throw it together we don't cook with as much um though jeff does right yeah. he's doing his bread Different and his cultures. sourdoughs and things but I, I find that like i know i noticed amongst millennials we all are there's like no traditions anymore mm -hmm. right like people have gotten tired of them but then i think millennials were looking for them yeah because we know that's like when this, I grew up in my Nana would make yeah. gnocchi. It was this all day thing. You yeah. get out the potatoes, you put the well, you And put like our the parents got in. us sick of it. Yeah. So they just and stopped like, I'm doing not making it. gnocchi. Yeah. It takes forever. And then you're like, wait. Yeah. Yeah. You, want, you want it back. Them. Um, but who's going to maintain it and how does mm -hmm. it work? So. The other thing I will yeah. say is there's Egypt, there's not much evidence, but within Mesopotamian texts, there's actually, um, I had to look up her name, but her, she's uh, at Oxford. Um, sorry if I butcher this, but Moody al-Rashid, mm -hmm. she works on depression and emotions within Mesopotamian literature. Huh. And there's all these things about like your heart aching and yeah. like what's the, how do you express these, you know, sadness and all this stuff, which we could look at in Egyptian, right? right? Within the um, didactic literature, within other literature of how, how you express emotion, how does it hurt yeah. Physically, you know, your heart hurting or something like this. Being ho so homesick, you want to die. Yeah. You get that in Sinue a little bit, um, a little bit in um, Doom Prince, you know, people mm -hmm. who are away from home, Tale of Two Brothers, um, where you, you might be so depressed, like Tale of Two Brothers, where um, Bata, accused of sleeping with his brother's wife, mm. is so upset 
in front of his brother on the other side of the river. He takes his penis, cuts it off, and throws it in the river. It's kind of a suicide. Yeah. In a sense. Mm -hmm. He's like, I am no longer. Yes, I will not have. It is. It is a suicide. So you could look at Anubis and Vasa in the tale of two brothers as a familial suicide, Mm -hmm. though Anubis can't have children. Bata is like, I am not a man anymore, I'm, it, which is kind of like saying, I'm not a human. Mm-hmm. I am, I am an, a, a monk-like yeah. being who has Taking nothing and nobody. Taking myself out of the running. <laughs> yeah. And the fish swallows his penis and it's mm-hmm. this whole thing. But, and, and then he goes off and, and is killed. And then it turns into a, tr- a flower, yeah. then a tree, and then all this stuff. It's a super magical tale. But, and then there's um, the man in his ba, yeah. where he talks openly about wanting to die. Is it suicide? Is it such a positive look at the afterlife that it's kind of a, it, this Egyptian religion has become a kind of salvation religion? Or just, you know, you're old and maybe in pain and you're yeah. like, oh, if I, the afterlife is supposed to be this place of perfection. It's like, well, I want to go there yeah. because my current existence is old and decrepit and painful. So it's like, I'm ready to go and and it's poetic. Death is before me today. And I don't remember, but it's essentially like death is before me today, like a cool breeze mm-hmm. on a hot day or something. Like and then it continues. Death relieving. is before me today, like, you know, arriving home after mm-hmm. a long time away, yeah. things like that. Um, it's what we, we always say when old people or old aunt pets die. It's like, well, they're, you know, no longer suffering. They're in, you know, they're not in pain anymore. Yeah. I always end up it's saying it's a blessing. Yeah. And it, and it can be. In a way. So, yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure the Egyptians dealt with this like anybody else. Um, they, they don't talk about it. No. And, what and if in the medical text, if they talk about, like, any type of mental illness, like... We could do an OEB search for suicide. That'd be interesting, yeah. I, I haven't tried that. Um, Something to look then... into. Okay, our next question is from Kip. Kip. And they say, I understand that Dr. Zahi Huas is searching for the tomb of Nefertiti in the West Valley of the Kings, but has not yet found anything. Yes. Do you know if he's attempted to use Dr. Parkak's satellite images to look for sand covering entrance staircases or things like this where you use satellite imagery? Um, well, I mean, we just don't know. Do we don't we, know. Jordan? He's not, he's not telling anyone <laughs> no, what he's, he's been up to. Well, I mean, I'm sure he's telling somebody and I'm sure it's a television producer uh, and I'm sure they're... I'm sure they've looked at the satellite imagery. It's just, I think in a lot of cases, if there's a lot of sand on top of it, you're not going to see like indentations of entrances or anything like that. I think you need a skilled person to look at the satellite imagery yeah. to be able to understand what it There's is so they're looking at. And, mm-hmm. Like that's the reason why Tut's tomb was safe for so long. It's because it was really covered. By Ramses the Sixth yep. building and all of the stuff. material, so, the debris that came out of it. But if you gave me a satellite photo, yeah. I'd be like, cool, okay. <laughs> the same way if you set up a theodolite and said, go, I'd be like, uh, sure, <laughs> that's just great. Um, so y- you do need somebody skilled enough to look at it. I don't know if there's anybody on his team who yeah, has I don't know if they're using that technology. Ability, I don't know. Plus, like, the wadi so, like, from space would be very thin. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what type of, you know, references you'd really get in there because you're looking, like, on cliff faces and stuff from a satellite. I don't know if you would really get good definition. And why he's looking in the Western Valley, I suppose, because it's associated with Amenhotep the third and I, yeah, and so and that it's not as explored. Maybe um, something to be, but yeah, I, I presumably because of I, yeah. I would assume, yeah, but but no, we, or we Nefertiti's and Tuts is Tuts tomb. Yeah, so of dun, course, dun, dun. and we bring up again um, Nicholas Reeves' brilliant theory that Tutankhamun's tomb is nothing more than the front foyer of the king who ruled before him, who was almost certainly Smenkare. 
and Nicholas Reeves suggests that Smenkare is the same as Nefertiti because they share the same throne name, mm -hmm. Ankhkepru Rey, and it would be a very odd thing for two different kings to have the same throne name. We do so see small. two different kings having a, the same throne name, but they're separated by a great, Lots. great amounts of time, yeah. not one generation to another. So um, if that's the case, you know, for further research on that, go Google Nicholas Reeves, the tomb of Nefertiti, and you will yeah, be able of... to research to your heart's content. Yeah. Super interesting reading, super interesting theories. and Accessible um, too. It's not too yeah. in the weeds or anything. And this theory, is it, it's, it has legs. It has not gone away. I'm totally persuaded by the tomb was meant to be something else before. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything like behind the, the wall. Like I'll if, bring up again. I brought the the, la the radar scans to colleagues. Yes. I didn't. Um, my husband did. Brought the radar scans to colleagues at Caltech and JPL who looked behind the back wall and then to the left and said, yes, there are voids in both of them. No, I think there is a void. I'm just saying I don't know if there's anything in it. Oh, yeah. It probably is empty. Yeah. Because that would be but too also, amazing. I also remember that Watanabe, before mm -hmm. he died, I mean, he was a crack radar specialist of this ground-penetrating radar and was able to discover other tombs and he saw signatures for wood and metal in this radar and remy tells me that reading ra radar is is not a precise mm -hmm. art and if this guy says he could see signatures for metal and wood then it's it's highly probable are they is it intact is it yeah. perfectly preserved i have no idea but there are voids back there and even if it's just an empty hole with like you know stuff smashed up and there's decoration, still it's cool. still going to be a contribution to yeah. what we know. You know more about the tomb. Well, and what's coming up this November? Oh, the, the... the cent centennial of the discovery yeah. of Tutankhamun's yeah. tomb. Everyone's, yeah, that's, this is all so. we talk about. Without critique, without yeah. um, any sort of uh, colonial, gold. colonial criticism. It's just all about gold and fame and discovery and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and other patriarchal lore. Um, yeah. but it's, it's fine. You know, I've, I've been asked to present a couple of Tutankhamun lectures myself and yeah. I'm like, fine, what do you want? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's going to okay. happen. So you might as well make the best of it. And yes, yes. And people are and get so people, get people this. interested yeah. in it. Yeah. Yeah. Get people, tourists back to Egypt and yeah, things like that. So our next question is from our friend, Brian. Oh, Brian. Hi, Brian. So. Uh, he says, so in the spirit of ask me anything, who would... Oh, no, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen. Who would you have been in ancient Egypt? I don't subscribe to reincarnation, but I also do not dismiss those who do. Also, according to Samsara, the belief incarnation, reincarnation rebirth isn't geologically restricted. But for the sake of food for thought, who would you have been? Personally, he has his personal <laughs> one. Personally, I think I would have been a potter. I'm very tactile. I sculpt in clay and am a ceramicist at Abydos for four seasons. Waves at Remy. I know it's a rather existential question, but I think I would have lived in a small rural community on the outskirts of a larger populated area. I would have been married and established a modest household. I love kids. So Tim, his partner, says I'm the favorite uncle. <laughs> then again, my love of nature leads me to believe I could have been on some level a priest or priestess. Again, local provincial reincarnation does not assign gender identities in samsara. 
before I got into Egyptology, I wanted to be an anim animal behaviorist, so that tracks with all my zoomorphic images of the deities and my love of reading. Okay, just throwing that out there. Sorry for the extensive word salad I just threw out. <laughs> so who would, if you were be, to be reincarnated in ancient Egypt, what, what, would, what would you think? Well, first, hi, Brian. Hi, Tim. Um, thanks for the question. Second, um, I totally dig the theory of reincarnation. I, I love mean, it. That's like I, my favorite ideological it makes idea. sense. It makes sense. Of anything I hope is real. Yes. That's that one. We can't prove it. No. Fine. But if if your energy goes somewhere, why not go into another body? Our and the fact that we have destroyed. we have eight billion people on the planet now, we all get to be here. And at less the animals. End. <laughs> less <laughs> less animals. So true. That's true. Um, we're, we all seem to be reborn in this in this one space um, as we try to figure out what what our post patriarchal situation is going to be. We all need to be here together to solve it. Mm -hmm. That's a little cosmic and big, but it is you know it is part of what I I do believe. Um, so I believe that. However, <laughs> I don't try to put myself back into ancient Egypt and try to imagine... But who would you like to have been? Um, if you could experience any ancient Egyptian's life or perspective. Jordan's not going to let it go. She's I'm not like, letting no, it go. You like, have do you want to be a woodworker someone. making a coffin so you can really mm -hmm. know how those coffins are made? Do you want to be like Harry Horror or... I mean, you, uh, know you know that we don't ask each other why we are obsessed yes. with Egypt. But you also know that we're obsessed with Egypt yeah. for reasons that we cannot explain. So maybe we were ancient Egyptians yeah. in our past life and we recognize some of this stuff. I always think I was maybe. someone who died on Mount Everest. Because I'm you obsessed. Do. I'm obsessed with Mount Everest. I'm obsessed with World War II. And, and I whenever, swear, and I have dreams about Mount Everest all the time. When it's like I hear one of a, my recurring dreams. Everest, huh? yes. Whenever I hear a Vera Lynn song, I'm like, oh my God, I was like there. I was like a nurse or something. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know why feel like a connection to something and Egypt too and mm -hmm. and other places right that kind of touch you in particular ways I don't know why um, I would imagine that I was one of those I think, I think you were one of the witches at Daryl Medina yeah I'm going, <laughs> the with, rats. I'm going with some sort of a, a like herbalist the sort of midwife yeah um Get little subversive, maybe had some tattoos, got into my magical spells, Hathor. Um, incantations and shit, mm -hmm. um, worshiping the, the goddess. Yeah, I, I would have been a fun wise woman. And as one of those wise women or witches, you have to make sacrifices to be able to have that kind of ritual power. Mm -hmm. So I could imagine Be like ostracized. a little Vestal Virgin sort of side to me, maybe a little um, Don't live in the nunnery kind of side to me so that you can have that power of the abbess or something, mm -hmm. but you can't have your family. I, I could imagine me taking on some of those more um, masculinizing mm -hmm. roles within the, for a woman within the patriarchy. And, and I can imagine finding myself in a harem, given mm -hmm. a side eye and, and mental critique. Um, as never as like a great royal wife, I don't think, but something a little below the radar. Mm -hmm. uh, but but who knows? You know, I I, um, I often find myself not the most important person in the room, but associated with them. Well, I mean, in a small <laughs> when I'm in a small pond, then I, I can debate, be the big fish. This. But sure. But I'll be like the person on the sidelines who's who's like third in line or something. That's how I like it to be looking. though. I like to never be like the You don't one. want to be the I like emperor. to be the sidekick. Emperor gets killed. Yeah. You don't want to be the other side. Yeah. You, you still get to like 
you know, be in all the power. Yes. But you're also not looked at directly. Yeah. Yeah. You can hide. So, so anyway, it's not, it's not an exact answer to your question, but I do try to avoid, um, some of the more exactness of it. I just know what I'm obsessed with. I know what I'm interested in. Cool, wise woman. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take that. I'd want to be, I don't know. I honestly like any like experience I think would be cool. Just like something even like rather mundane and boring. I'm just like a provincial housewife would just be cool just to see the workings of the, the house and such. Um, priestess would be cool. I mean, mm-hmm. high like a God's wife of Amun would be mm-hmm. awesome to have that experience and amazing. Um, because you have be cool. to be in a special right time, right place, right status mm-hmm. to be able to get to play with the boys yep. as a woman. Because um, otherwise, it's like, oh, I'm just having babies and yeah. weaving. And Brian points out, you know, you can have a different gender. Yeah. Did I have a different gender? Yeah. You know, I am six foot two almost. Mm-hmm. And so maybe there's a part of me that's a little more masculine. And when I go to Egypt, um, though I'm a woman, I'm kind, I kind of can go third gender in the way I'm treated in mm-hmm. a sense. Um, here too. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I, that's but, a cool question. But all of my imaginings in my writing tends to bring me to the world of the woman oh. and how she has to deal with the limitations of yeah. her place. As you say, what is it like to just, have yeah, just to experience 10 babies it. and have to yeah. try to make money on, say you have an alcoholic husband, could certainly yeah. happen in Egypt like any place else, and you're trying to make money on the side through your weaving. What is that like? Mm-hmm. And that, that, Or we know so little about non-elites in Egypt. Yeah. So getting to experience, even though it's probably not a happy, mm-hmm. lovely experience, mm-hmm. um, but experiencing that kind of just more mundane you know, peasant, mm-hmm. you know, day-to-day, like, rural community, like, what their, what their religion, their local religions are, and, you know, day-to-day life yeah. stuff would be cool. Yeah. Dancer, no. Musician, I don't think so. No, I think you're right. Magician, midwife. Yeah. Um, like, I could imagine woman's giving birth. Oh, I gotta go. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> I got, Call Carol. I'll be back in two days. Call Kara. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Rahit. Uh, yeah. Rahit. That, that, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. So. I anyway. think just being to one of the workmen's wives at Dira Medina would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Just because you'd be still just more involved in all that. Yeah. That um, goings on. And I think I'd want to know what all those texts mm-hmm. say. Yeah. And like, be like subversively well, trying to learn to read. Yeah. And, Over someone's shoulder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Good question, Brian. Okay. Well, we have another question from Brian we can do. This is more um, about how we are as people. How do you divide up reading from work, reading for pleasure, and reading for plain self-care? I know reading for research comes with deadlines, but I am curious what you all think about the difference between healthy stepping away and just simple procrastination. Oh, God. This is quite a it's question. a hard one. Um, yeah. You want to start? Yeah, sure. So I mainly only read for pleasure. I limit it by the time of day. Yeah. So like once it's past like 9, 9.30. PM. PM. Yeah. I only, the only reading I'm doing is for pleasure. Yeah. So like always before bed, I always read for pleasure. Yeah. And it never is about Egypt. Yeah. It's about, it's either like a fun fiction book or like right now I'm reading about the genetic origins of the Americas. It's always something like, it could be something more historical or scientific, but it's never about Egypt because yeah. I need that, that separation. 
So then during the day, if I'm reading, it's going to be more for work. Yeah. Um, or if I go to the beach, I'm not going to be bringing my work reading with me. You do more of this blending. I have to keep it more separated. Yeah. Mainly because I just, if I'm reading for work and I'm like at the beach, I'll like want to like do something with it. And I go through longer spurts of one or the other. So it depends on where I find myself, um, what deadlines I have, what kinds of things I have to get done. So if I'm working on a book, uh, like one of my trade books, I'll be doing a lot of reading, some that's Egypt, and a lot that has nothing to do with it. Like I'll, mm-hmm. I'll read about an Anne Applebaum book about authoritarianism, even though it's modern authoritarianism in Poland and Putin mm-hmm. and Trump, but it's, it's super helpful. It's still for related. Me. Yeah. yeah. And, and I start a lot of things that I don't finish. I used to feel really guilty about that, that I would, that I don't read the whole book. <laughs> That's how I am. But now, like, even if it's a bad book, I'm like, I have to finish it. Yeah, I can kind of get like that. But then I'm like, I don't have enough time to read everything anymore. So I need to put it down and move on to something mm-hmm. else. Um, and, and then reading for classes and reading for work, um, that's, you know, a constant kind of thing, though my teaching is it's grad classes that I'm reading mm-hmm. for. And I never have the time to finish the article, ever. And I rely on you guys to tell me what the hell the article was because there's so much assigned that I don't yeah, have we, the we, chance to look at it. Not, we don't even get to read everything. Because we have, have to such, pick and an, choose. such yeah. an extensive bibliography, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But then we share it amongst each other and then we're able to at least do a, a, you know deep dives into some things and then we present it, but then we're able to at least touch on everything. Mm-hmm. That helps me to stay abreast of the field which is very nice Mm -hmm. for certain topics um it's it's funny that i can't engage with fiction the way that i did before my divorce Mm. so and i don't know if anybody listening to this feels the same way but i think once you've gone through traumatic experiences there is there is no way that i can willingly expose myself to other people's trauma on purpose. So I don't read like those types of books. I also avoid them because I'm like, this is too heavy. It's like the TV shows that are so heavy. And I like, can't. The world's ending yeah. already. Like, I don't yeah. want to watch a TV show about the world ending. Yeah. I, I do a lot of reading of like these kind of more like cheeky, like murder mysteries that are very lighthearted. Yeah. Or I read a lot of fantasy. That's like, it's not, you know, or YA, like honestly, like young adult, because it's a little bit more like tame. I totally dig that. I think it's great. It's like, I want to read to be like immersed in a fun adventure mm-hmm. or, you know, a interesting story. I don't want to be like reading this book and like be crying at the end of it or I mean, really having like since, an existential crisis. Since 2014, it's a while now, mm-hmm. I haven't engaged in much fictional exploration at all. And I've even tried to read a couple of novels. I'm like, it'll be fine. And I'm, I'm like, read nope. Peabody. Those yeah, are fun. We, that will be fun. Because those are yes. not heavy. Let me finish the Coffins book and then yeah. fine. Those will be I, fun yes. and light. But so it's funny how even if it's something that's innocuous and happy and light, I'll get bored because, mm-hmm. again, the world around me is so fucking interesting yeah. right now that I would rather go onto Twitter and see what smart minds are thinking about the crazy so shit that's going down. You don't feel reading as like an escapism. You're distracted too much to get into that. I don't. I think a lot of people are like, I need to read to take myself out of the real world. No, no. So mm. that's how I am. I'm like, okay, like shut all this off. I'm going to go yeah. read this book where I'm like in Mayan future, Mayan mythology or something like that fun. Now, don't get me wrong. No. So no, I don't. Mm-hmm. No, and don't get me wrong. I'm, 
I am drawn to the trauma, but I can't approach it in a fictional way where people are messing with my emotions and manipulating me. I am drawn to the trauma, so I'll end up reading interviews of people who have the 10-year-old who couldn't get the abortion or whatever people are, you know, putting out there. I need to read that. And so I'm doing a lot of nonfiction reading Mm -hmm. that's short form, medium form, a lot of Atlantic articles, a lot of Substack. Um, I follow Anne Helen Mm -hmm. Peterson. I love her. If you don't know her Substack, you should definitely subscribe. She's amazing. And I learned about millennial shit from Anne Helen Peterson, like her obsession with Britney Spears. I know nothing. So I'm like, (laughs) oh, that's interesting. Um, I, I do, the two things I did for Escape recently, is I watched a documentary about Jennifer Lopez, mm. about some <laughs> Super Bowl show that she did. And then I watched the one that Lady Gaga did. And I loved them because I loved watching these two strong women deal with all of the stereotypes that are applied mm-hmm. to them and, and produce amazing, awesome shit. And the amount of work that they put into it, um, careful thought, they balance their families. They, they're, I, I just, that kind of thing I, I really mm-hmm. got into. And Remy comes home, he's like, Lady Gaga, huh? I'm like, yes, I'm watching this. And I loved it. And I wish there anyone who knows of more suggestions like those kinds mm-hmm. of documentaries, that would be great. I always like reading biographies of I love female biographies. leaders and stuff. If I'm going to read mm-hmm. something to relax, it is going to be a biography. Yeah. I love them, love them. And I'm reading something that's pretty dark right now. Um, uh, wait, let me find it. Gertrude Beasley. And apparently, and I don't, I think it was a substack that put me onto this author. She, she was born in like 1910 in Texas Mm -hmm. and grew up in a super poor, sexually abusive household and writes about it in an unvarnished, plain spoken way. And, and was actually institutionalized for telling the truth about how, about her first memory being a rape at four by her older brother. Oh, wow. It's brutal. Gertrude Beasley, that's the name of it. And my first 30 author. years. Exactly, my okay. first 30 I years. She was institutionalized for writing this book. And they institutionalized her first in Britain. She published it in Paris. Insane. They took yeah. all the books. They institutionalized her in Britain. And then she ends up disappearing to the United States, I guess extradited mm-hmm. or something. And she ended up dying at the age of 70 in the institution. They called her insane for telling the truth about her patriarchal upbringing. And it's um, it was such a brave thing. But mm-hmm. people say that this is like when apparently this book has a reputation for being one of the best pieces of Texas literature ever. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, I wonder what that's about. I, I'm almost done with it, but it's, it's again, pretty dark. And so I I don't, it's weird that I will read that. Yeah. And I can't handle watching game of Thrones. You explain that to me. I don't understand. It's weird because that is one of the darkest books out there. And I will read that. Yeah. I think it's the same, like, because somebody like my, like, murder like true crime i'm like you know sometimes I, you watch like a dram- you know something dramatized of murder well, let and me it can tell so... you about the obsession with true crime and you and i have talked i know about it's like this. a white lady thing but why it's not just a white lady thing it's also a woman of color but it's a lady thing and a because s- it's the stuff that could happen to us exactly. so it's like a sense of control that if you know exactly. like what's coming it's or an anti-patriarchal like entertainment but it's also your deepest fear mm-hmm. as a person without power within this patriarchal stew. That's what obsession with true crime is. It's I, I think it's an anti-patriarchal obsession. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I used to be like, what's this with this true crime thing? And now the more I see, you know, another AR-15 murder um, after another, and the amount of times women are stalked, raped, 
murdered, sexually abused, include children in that cat in those categories too. I, it's like learning about true crime is your only defense against like it happening to this, you. Yeah, yeah. Or like the type of person, or or if some elements of this have happened to you, it's your way. It's knowing you're not alone, and yeah. it's knowing that there can be a way to to find these people and bring them to justice in some way. Yeah, and like giving voice to the victims that maybe yeah. didn't get heard, like a lot of people of color and things like this. I know that's yeah. a lot of the true crimes nowadays are focused more on, you know, cases that didn't get a lot of attention and yeah. they're trying to bring back attention. And if you know anything still, exactly. right, like try yeah. to help these cold cases. No, so I think there's some interesting anthropological seems really um, interesting, thoughts really one could apply to that. Yeah. Heavy. Yeah. But apparently Bertrand Russell said it's it was truthful, which is illegal. Wait. About the book. Yes. Because that's is, why it was, because yes. it was too truthful. They put her into, what. that's the most riveting part of the book. You're that reading she it. she was. Yeah, that they, they just stuck her away in an insane asylum. Insane. And how many, how many it's very short, times did that very happen short to women? Book. So many times. That the husband was like, meh, or the or, society was like, meh. Or how many times has a midwife in the 18th century horned in on the, the, money making of the doctor who does mm -hmm. the bloodletting and they call her crazy and a witch and then he's got all of his clients back. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to I mess with this. I always think too of right when obstetrics was getting more big within male doctordom and it's like they were killing way more women because they weren't yeah. washing their hands and all this stuff and they were and dying using of their like forceps and all yeah, this bullshit. And like not washing and then dealing with a mother who died and then taking those bloody gross hands and like then going to work on a mother yeah. that was having a baby. Yeah, and, and sneering like, when people said you yeah. need to wash your hands. And midwifery had way less, um, yeah. you know, mother births and, you know, all this stuff. But the male doctors were like, no, you must come to the hospital and get this done. And most of them died. Yeah. And, and child, don't get me started on childbirth now, but if you want to read one of my favorite books, see, I'll read this and I can't, again, watch Game of Thrones or I House mean, of I'm Cards. I mean, I'm a big, but big nonfiction reader too, and I get my good friend who runs a book club and I'm in her book club on fantasy um, books yeah. and she cannot read nonfiction. That's so and I'm like, I love reading nonfiction about like topics that I don't know about, like not non-Egyptian nonfiction. That's I love crazy. reading about. I love nonfiction. Yeah. But the, the book is um, Born in the USA, Born in the USA by Marsden Wagner. And it's about the over-medicalization mm. of childbirth mm -hmm. in the United States and how you have to induce and it has to be on the doctor's schedule. And then induction yeah. means that you'll, you'll have complications and the complications will result in more painful birth, which means you have to have an epidural, which means you have to have a C-section, which is, it's the, talk about slippery slope, but um, super interesting read. Yeah. And I, I guess it's certain temperaments, but I will say Jordan, that when I was pregnant and breastfeeding, I could not read nonfiction. Mm. And I was kind of like, I, you know what I really can't watch? Like I cannot watch Finding Nemo, <laughs> Toy Story, any of them. Because you find them too emotional? It's horrible. Okay. The, the mother's dying yes. the, or dead. The, the yeah, kid's have, lost. It's like Bambi. The, you know, Buzz Lightyear can't find Woody and it's his only friend. Yeah. I can't watch that shit. Kid movies are always very... The only one like, I can watch is raw. Sing because the worst thing that happens is the theater, you know, falls apart and there's a kid who lives in the pool house on his parents' money. I'm like, that I can deal with, you know? Um, and the music's great. But so... Yeah. Yeah. I know I, they always have, yeah. like, good endings and all this stuff. But yeah. to me, it's a real-life problem. Like, not a mom 
being there, parents dying, or this traumatic situation, but the real-life ending isn't there. Mm -hmm. They give you the happy ending, yeah. which is, like, not realistic. Yeah. So you're, like, offering up this very real problem and then covering it with a Disney ending, which isn't real. Like, who can watch That's the end how. of Cinderella with the fucking key up the stairs? Can I can't handle that stress. I don't like them too either. Oh my god! And I remember I'm not I nanny a, I'm not a grad Disney school. person. I'm like, you guys watch. I can't. I'm yeah. gonna bury my head. We in We know book. too much. Mm -mm. No, I don't like the. I'm not a Disney person. So, but it's it's funny. You know, I'm able to work a lot, and I'm able to compartmentalize. And you've seen me do it. Like we'll be in a a crowded hotel space yeah, and, you I, and I books at the baseball game. and I'm just like I get my iPad out and I have this ability probably because of the ADD in the family to hyper focus and block yeah, well, out and all the noise you have to because you have a kid and you have all I things feel going more on in comfortable life. the louder and crazier it is getting shit done so With I have to work good. with the iPad the chaos <laughs> I am chaotic good this is exactly <laughs> right I am super chaotic good so I haven't really answered your question. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I won't tell you what they are because it would embarrass me. But um, but I love them. I love podcasts too. And you know which ones I, I listen podcasts. to. Jordan yeah. knows all. Um, and I love, love, love. Because you can always fun. do other things. Yes. It's the perfect yes. like hustle. <laughs> when it you're is. hustling, it you is. can always listen to a podcast. Yeah. Brian, you can DM me. I'll tell you what it is. Yeah, it's Brian, fine. you know. It's not it's not that embarrassing, but like my colleagues would be like, oh my God, which they often do anyway. So whatever, what the hell. But yeah, Brian, you know, you have our numbers. <laughs> Chat us up. Okay. Moving on. Okay, so we're back to Egypt. Okay. Um, so we have EMSR666 asks. I like how all of everyone's um, usernames are all like vampire666. Like, what type of people are we? I mean, I, I love it. I love it too. And yeah. you know, Lucifer is nothing more than Venus, the I light bringer. Lucifer. Yeah. Lucifer, the light bringer. She's so the brightest thing on the star. So misunderstood. They had to demonize her poor thing. So we must resuscitate Lucifer and, yeah. and you know, worship her again. I just again. read this book recently by Holly Black, Book of Night anyone reads her books um but there's a cat in it and its name is lucifer Ooh, that's, that's too much for me <laughs> okay so they're reading about how about what about how in the oh, late pre-dynastic period cow i'm like cow cows that's his, that's his own topic that's a lot of marissa Egypt. has to do that one though i can't do cows she okay hers. i'm reading about how in the late pre-dynastic period people moved from scattered households into towns with walls thick mm -hmm. walls I know unification was at least partially achieved by conquest. What else were people worried about? Like, why were people moving into these towns? What evidence is there for destruction of these walled towns or even internecine violence? This is late period. Late, late period. Yeah. No, uh, late pre-dynastic. Oh, late pre-dynastic. So, like, um, late. Because there is a late period urban um, renaissance as well. But this is much earlier. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, you know, state formation is really tough, and talking about walled towns for the pre-dynastic is. Do almost, we have any of these towns? I mean, we have impossible. You have Hierakonpolis. That's it. You have, um, which is Nekan, right? Yeah, Adjacent. Nekin. You have Nagata. Do you have the town of Nagata? You just saying. have the graveyard. Because all the towns would have been in the floodplain. You just have the graveyard. So I think Hierakonpolis is our. You have Buto. Buto, yes. Buto, you have. Um, you have um, the chicken one. Um, Tell of Farca. Oh, the chicken. <laughs> yeah. Boy? The, the yeah. tell of the chicken. Um, but, uh, I mean... I think more that they're not moving so much maybe into these towns because of 
fear, right? Like escaping to the town for safety, but it's they're moving into these towns because they bring opportunities. I economic think it's both. and I think the late pre-dynastic. But we don't have any evidence for these towns being destroyed or anything like that. No, but we you just do have evidence late pre-dynastic that the unification could have been could have involved significant warfare. Yeah. And we have those pallets where like the king as the bull mm -hmm. is busting through the the town walls. Yeah. Um, the, and on the other side of that, where the hawk is taking his hoe and mm -hmm. breaking into the to town the walls. Delta, yeah. Delta peoples. I think just a lot of these, if they, they did have town walls, the town walls were built of mud brick and it's something mm -hmm. that wouldn't, you know, preserve well in these floodplain or Delta existence. So. And we do have some walls preserved when they're around temples. So you have yeah. Medina Habu wall preserved. You have the Karnak wall preserved. The Medina Habu wall wasn't built until the 12th century. Karnak wall was built 30th dynasty. So 4th century BCE, both mm -hmm. of them. Um, and, but that's instructive. It means that inside of your wall would have been your main ritual space, just like a medieval town has its cathedral inside yeah. of the wall. That doesn't mean that the whole area is is pure and sacred you can still have marketplaces in there mm -hmm. you can have homes you can have you can have workshops and installations and factories and all kinds of things inside of that medina habu walled space and archaeology has proven that um it, the short answer to this question is that as you get complex civilization behind uh, more authoritarian and centralized kinds of rule at the beginnings of that, you might get more walled cities because of the amount of conflict between the warlords that are leading up to the end point of the authoritarian, mm -hmm. the single authoritarian taking over. The kinglets. The kinglets. Yeah. And that'll, of course, happen each intermediate period. Mm -hmm. And we get texts about this, like the kinds of warfare that happened on the plains of Abydos and and that it went into the graveyards and how horrible that is. And you have the kinglets again mm -hmm. competing with each other. You'll see that again in second intermediate period. You'll see it in third. Um, and the fortresses become more important, arguably, during those time periods as protection. Mm -hmm. So people will, and then maybe in the more centralized periods, as you say, they go there for opportunity yeah. to connect with all of the different skill sets and abilities that a city or a town yeah. brings. I think thinking too about walls, not just for defense militarily, but as like um, markers of certain yeah. types of places and having just gates, yeah. right? You funnel people and it's a control. So if you, everyone who's coming into the town has to come through this gate, you can tax them, you can yeah. check out who they are, make sure only the type, the right type of people you want coming into the town. So yeah. it's maybe not so much just defense, but it's access and it's control. It's a sorting of people. You know, like, oh, you can't come in your X, Y, and Z, or no, only market days on Tuesdays. Mm -hmm. You can't come in otherwise. And you, you would have the same the donkeys in or something. In your temple space. So yep. only certain people can go into the, the back areas it, of a temple. Yeah. Same with a palace, right? Mm -hmm. and, for, and, and for those people who are interested in doing more research with this, there's a whole stream of architectural literature in which you look at the layout. If all you have preserved is a floor plan, you can still work with that. Yeah. Where you have a layout preserved and you're like, oh, look at there's no straight shot into this building. It is exclusive. It is, con it is um, barring those, mm -hmm. uh, you know, masses from it. You don't get a clear sight line yeah. inside. And so you can do all Indirect kinds access. of, yeah. yeah, exactly. All kinds of really interesting studies of palaces and temples. You know, a, t a temple seems to have a straight shot through to the back, you should be able to see all the way. But 
there's all kinds of ways there's that the other side doors and other yes. things. Yeah. And, and the rising floor. Mm-hmm. So even if you're outside, you can't really quite see, see. but they want you to see a little, but that doesn't mean you get to go no. in a palace almost never has that straight shot. Yeah. No, because you want well, to keep like, that King safe. I think there's that whole debate about like, is Egypt a civilization without cities and stuff. Yeah. And like, if you look to the near East or like the Aegean, they had all these palace economies where they had the palace in the in the walled yeah. the palace like the elites were in this walled town but like no one else lived they all lived out in the country and were farming and doing all this stuff so it's also the question of who's actually living in these walled spaces is it just the elites and the kinglet or the mayor or whatever and Egypt is also really tough because the more we work on the hydraulics of the river and the movement of the river yeah. valley, the more you realize that what you could build again and again and again in the same space of Mesopotamia or Greece or the Italian peninsula or China, maybe floodplains of China would be similar to Egypt. You cannot build mm-hmm. in Egypt because the way the Nile floods, yeah. you, you have to, it's like a constantly mobile and moving yep. palace economy. And it means that you're not going to have for the archaeologists the preservation of a city that's occupied for millennia mm-hmm. in one place you might and and you have to think of the river and how easily it connects places that are kilometers away so mm-hmm. that your city is spread out along a line yeah and it's hard for us to think that way about how a city would work yep. spread Kinda out like along a line like along the lake it gets like chicago is a place, memphis along the mississippi yeah. But um, yeah, I think thinking of Houston, right, the places that are preserved to us are the places that would have been on higher ground, yeah. like the zeros or things like this, which yeah. would have been elite religious structures. Mm-hmm. So that like the normal town yeah. would have been, I think, very mobile, as yeah. you're saying, like more like uh, like Genghis Khan, where they would set up these huge, you know, kind of semi-permanent structures. And then, you know, the flood comes and you retreat back. What and does set a up- king have to bring with him into the afterlife? What never goes away? A boat. A boat. A really nice cedar boat. Yep. That's his tax collection device. It's his barge to bring army to, to, to fuck with the locals and the, and the elite overlord. It's his, it's his way of bringing his harem to him and having his nursery mm-hmm. on board. It's his di- diplomatic barge. It's all kinds of yep. things. And so those, you know, Khufu brings two, at least two really nice boats mm-hmm. with him. And you have... Um, That's even pre-unification. We have the boat. Exactly. Like iconography playing a huge role. And it's yeah. pan-nilotic, right? It's not even just Egypt. It's And we look at it and say, oh, it's only funerary. Mm-hmm. Th- these boats are so important. And if it is funerary, it is the king is dead. The next king is there. Yeah. And he's imposing his the rule. The boat still, yeah. Simwasser III had the boats buried mm-hmm. at Dashur. Yeah. Um, 18th Dynasty, 19th Dynasty tombs, but specifically in 18th Dynasty, they bring in these large boat models into their, their tombs, also made of cedar yeah, and painted. Tuts. You can think of Tots boats. Yes. They're beautiful. And that boat, in some ways, it was the palace. And so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's the best way. You. I can't think of a more exclusive way of keeping your king safe. That he's always on the move. He's always on the move and he's in the middle of the river. Mm-hmm. Good luck. You're going to be able to get to that dock and then the boat can just take off. Yeah. He's, and he's surrounded by other boats. Yes. <laughs> Not just his. Yes. Right? It's the whole... The whole we we um, need to think about it that way more because that's that's really cool. And if I ever get to do an ancient Egypt TV show, then there's going to be a lot of... It'll make separation potentially more easy. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And having it, yeah, much more mobile and mm-hmm. not how we think of even like medieval or 
Roman stuff working. Yeah. We have to get out of that mindset. I mean, we kind of know this about Mexico City as was yeah, when the Aztecs the were Chiampas, there. But, um, yeah. But it's, you know, it's how... It's a little different. It is different. Yeah. It is. And, and the Nile palace a, would... They'd have to rebuild these palaces probably all the time. Yeah, it's mud brick. Yeah. It's gonna get gross and melty and... If you can build a pyramid in 20 years, then you can rebuild your palace all the well, time. Well, and, like, we know, like, um... You know, the harem palace up at Garab, right? Mm -hmm. It was just for the harem. So, mm -hmm. and that's up north. If he was down, you know, he's visiting all around mm -hmm. and doing things. And yeah. and everyone knows that certain parts of Egypt are nicer at certain yeah. parts of the year. Yep. So. You have, what, the T4 going hunting outside, you know, Cairo, modern day Cairo, Memphis, the Dream Stealer and all that. Yep. Right? So. You escape from maybe during the heat of the summer. You mm -hmm. get go you north. Go, you go north to the delta when it gets really breeze. cold. Go down can, to Thebes. Yeah, yeah. Just, I'm sure there's seasonality to all this. Yeah. And when the river f is flooding versus not, and it's probably why people thought Akhenaten was so crazy. Partly because he too. picked one place. One to be in place. Middle Egypt. Dig in. Here we are, and they're like, "Wait, what?" In How Middle Egypt, working? which didn't really have much. Yeah else going on and had to pull all of those resources instead of bringing a lot of them with him or but uh, yeah anyway um interesting question it is very yeah. interesting question yeah um okay so katie 92 asks i'm a librarian and was wondering about record keeping in ancient egypt mm -hmm. what types of things each dynasty recorded how those records were preserved if they were preserved mm -hmm. and who could read or access those records i don't know if that would be interesting to other people but i find it fascinating i think I mean, it's, it's really huge, interesting too huge question too um, libraries and storerooms yep. and all that good stuff and you can touch the egyptians were very interested in maintaining cultural memory in an archival sense arguably Perfected, but yes why writing came about arguably yes it's they weren't not, writing poems and stuff it was to keep records of things it was to keep records economically to preserve a cultural memory of power that was useful mm -hmm. to those making the records it's kind of like think of our constitution and the founding fathers mm -hmm. and how it maintains a status quo of white male power yeah and how that's become co-opted by evangelical christianity is a different story but that that those archives, um, if all we had were the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and you didn't have any other letters or diaries or, mm -hmm. or other information, it would be a very Egyptian reality. Yeah, the Very propaganda. perfected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, where, where can of, we start? Well, I can think of a couple instances. So we could talk about the Amarna letters because yeah. we have good fine spots for those being yeah. in this house of the records. We have the name of the house at mm -hmm. Amarna. And it was where all the Amarna letters were kept. Which are super interesting. Super interesting. And there's a good new translation. I can't remember the I mean, Bill's Shidoin's translation is good, too. That's true? Yeah. So um, one of UCLA's professors has worked on a new one. Um, Moraine is the main one that I think... William Moran? Moran, yeah. yeah is yeah. the main one I think most people still use. And it's a paperback that's yeah, pretty easily accessible. Um, um, I'm trying to think of what the was. I'll look it up, but there was one I used recently that was um, pretty new. It wasn't Schneiderwind; it was somebody else. But um, those are so fun. I mean, yeah. you learn about uh, you know a king. The famous line where the king says, "Send me some gold." It's like the the sands of the desert for mm -hmm. you. It's so much. Where's the the daughter I sent you? I haven't heard from her in years. Mm -hmm. What the hell is going on? Is she being mistreated? Mm -hmm. um, why are you making my my emissary stand in the sun all day? They're going to die out there yep. in the sun. What the hell are you doing? If you want to die in the sun, you go ahead. It's your funeral. Yep. I mean, I am paraphrasing. It's all these very interesting letters between the great kings of the of the Bronze Age. Right. 
right? Um, the Egyptian king, the Mitanni, the Babylonian. Written in Canaanite Akkadian yep. and preserved in this hall of records. And we, so, yeah. So preserved in these, this, presumably this letter house that, yep. you know, eventually, you know, um, got destroyed and then was found much later and parted off amongst many, many, many museums around the globe. Yeah. Um, so I can think of those being much more like administrative mm -hmm. documents, but then on the more propagandistic side, we have all like the king's lists mm -hmm. that are more temple related where we mm -hmm. have, you know, the lists of kings in, in order, Palermo stone. Palermo stone super old, right? Yeah, uh, fifth uh, dynasty. Fifth dynasty document that goes all the way back to the first dynasty at least. Mm -hmm and document cattle counts, which is mm -hmm. taxation, um, but done in a hyper-ritualized, religiously-facing way. Based off an activity that the king did. Right, ritual activity. Yeah. So it's like, it's taxation, but it's for the gods, mm -hmm. which is a tithing, if you like, if the king is a god, and it makes taxation that much more palatable yeah. for those who it have helps. to pay. They get, they get some sort of return on their investment yeah. in the beyond as well as in this life. Um, good mojo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's all kinds of ways of making taxation seem um, good and pure. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of literature preserved. Well, um, and like, don't we have evidence for libraries yes, on like the second stories of temples? And but not until later. Um, you have evidence for like the house of life, right? Yeah. And what is the house of life? Is it a house of writing? Um, Ramesid texts tell us about scribal schools mm -hmm. and that there were more institutionalized places at that time in the 19th and 20th dynasties to send your son to be trained. Yeah, so who could read or access these records? Right. So but being you, a scribe as yeah. a, a title, so I'm right now I'm going through a bunch of the Theban tombs and yeah. looking through everything and trying to narrow down which tombs I'm going to look at. And, you know, the most common title is if you're not a priest, you're a scribe of yeah. something. Yeah. So these elites having the ability to write and read... And um, literacy, you could look at the, I think it's Baines and Lacovara mm -hmm. who did a study of literacy. And I think their conclusion depends on the time period they're looking at. So it's like, anything from 2 to 7%. Yeah, like 5%. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and literacy is a gradient. Some people can read some things mm -hmm. and not other things. They could read heretic, but not really the hieroglyphic With the king's name, they would maybe know. And exactly. That's it or something. Or, or they their could, name. They could read some alphabetic characters, but not, you know, Egypt is not an alphabetic system. Mm -hmm. It is uh, an exclusionary and difficult system on purpose. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, there's hymns preserved. There's, there's literature preserved. You can see in some papyri in Austrica that, People are copying things down mm -hmm. that exist elsewhere, but they want to have a copy. Another place that's that's super important is the village of Dir al Medina, yeah. where you see household or village archiving of people keeping ostraca and pot, of potsherds or limestone mm -hmm. that have receipts for buying a cow yep. or uh, a workshop record of the work you're the craft work you're doing mm -hmm. with colleagues and you're like he did that part i did this part and this is our payment Here's the reckoning yeah exactly so you you make it fair um and dira medina gives us divorce mm -hmm. proceedings yeah, we, we have or immediate pair documents where it's like transfer wills, wills quote unquote. last yeah. will and testament you get um lawsuits about mm -hmm. uh, threats and there's all kinds of crazy interesting stuff at Daryl Medina and 
the fact that most of the texts of Dir al-Medina are thrown into a pit, mm -hmm. um, they're trying to dig a well, the well is unsuccessful, and they just toss it all into this pit, means that there is a human understanding that you only need these texts for Scratch so long. Paper. Yeah. And in the same way that if you're if you're moving house and you go through your documents, and you're like, oh my God, these are my taxes from seven years ago. Gonna throw these away yeah, now. I'm shred them. And yeah. you shred them and get rid of them. Maybe you keep one small part of the tax documents, mm -hmm. but you don't keep your receipts yeah. and all of these things. Um, it's it's uh, it's the same thing in ancient Egypt. They're like, oh, don't need this anymore. Toss. Yeah. And, and then we find it. Yeah, and then we find it and we're able to do a lot with it. And I wrote a book called The Cost of Death all about mm -hmm. coffin prices based on on those texts. Um, so, you know, I, I, I would say that it becomes more, it's more important for normal people. And by normal, I mean lower elites mm -hmm. or maybe a nascent middle class to document later in ancient Egypt rather than earlier. Yeah. So early on, it's like very restricted to exactly. the king and old, middle, and then the first, you know, the 18th dynasty, you don't get a lot of people making a lot of documents. At least we don't have a lot of records of it. Mm -mm. You might have the Hekinoct papyri. Yeah, I was going to exactly. say, I was just thinking of Hekinoct. And it's an accident of preservation. And, and some wills. We have some old kingdom. Mm -hmm. But again, those are for like legal, like you need it to be recorded. Yeah. And it's most of, just for... I mean, but most of the older stuff we have, you don't get papyri well preserved. No you have things on stone. Um, the fact that we found the Wadi El-Jarf, not mm. we, that one, the, the um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Egyptologist. Found, that found the Wadi El-Jarf papyri show that a ship's captain is keeping an, a log Diary, of yeah. what he's doing, where he's doing it, mm -hmm. and how much he gets paid, etc., etc. Cool. Et Very cool. And if we had more preservation from the Old Kingdom, I'm sure we'd have more of those oh, yeah. kinds of but things. But as the Wadi El-Jarf papyri show us, the papyri record him doing stuff at Memphis yeah. for the building of the pyramids, but somehow the papyri ended up out at the Red Sea and then tossed. Yeah, it tossed, was garbage by the time. Away. It was don't obviously recorded. You know, we're over and done with this moving of, of limestone. I don't need it anymore. And it was tossed on the ground. And it just so happened that it was preserved under a rock for us. So you think about what Jordan just said, because essentially that means that it's the texts that people throw away that we get, that we have best preserved, arguably. Mm -hmm. And the texts that people kept we generally don't. We only have that one archive of letters from Amarna because that place was abandoned. Yep. You don't have the Per Ramses. We don't have the Karnak archive. No. archive. Yeah, no. that would have probably burned down or oh, they took it because so cool. it was stuff you wanted and you yeah. take because you want that info. Yeah. Um, to use for something else and. And then for late period, you know, more people are writing more stuff down. There's more last wills and testaments. There's more contracts. There's mm -hmm. more disagreements. But there's more people using the system of writing to ensure the outcome that they want. Whereas earlier, there was more ad hoc decision making by rich elites. Yeah. Where you, they, they don't need to write shit down. The purpose of writing changed. And in fact, Function. sometimes writing shit down is not as we're learning from the January 6th hearings. Yeah. You delete those text messages. <laughs> delete them. But deleting things doesn't actually delete them. It doesn't. So. And finding these texts of people you saying. You need to use encrypted things. Like Parscal, who's saying, mm -hmm. oh my God, I can't believe I got that dude elected. He killed people. Mm -hmm. And the other chick is like, oh no, you didn't. She's He's fine. like, no. He's like, no, it no. was bad. Yeah. I feel guilty. <laughs> wow. The schadenfreude. Yep. It's not enough, though. It's no, really it, not or enough. Or it's like, you know, Nixon's tapes. Yeah. Like, Gotta yeah. watch. Well, at least I'm or here like, with you, Jordan, at the end of all things, as we discuss like all of this. Like the mafia, you need to, you know, do things in person. 
You need to... And do things in code. Threaten. You do things in person. Like the late Ramesid letters are so much fun oh, yes. to go through from, so a, coded. from a coded mafia type language where they're like, there's one letter in the late Ramesid letters. And these are all late 20th dynasty and Daryl Medina workmen talking about uh, tombs that need to be <laughs> open for mm-hmm. certain reasons. But there's one where the chief workman writes to his son. He's like, so that thing that we talked about that you said would be there is not there. And I'm looking where you said it would be and it's not here. Where is it? And you're like, what is, what is it? it? Did he put gold in a yeah. hole in the ground? Yeah. And he, I, who knows? He stowed it away somewhere. But yeah. I just love it. That and you're those, like, what? Yeah. I want the other letter. Yeah. We only get some of them. Well, the the mob would never say things. No, you don't put any. It's like Trump. You can never catch exactly. him because he always is like, I just said it was going to be a wild time. I didn't yeah. say it was going to be, yeah. we weren't storming the Capitol. I just said I it. just said Pence isn't my friend anymore. Yeah. But that's exactly how the mob talks. Like, read between the lines. Do you want to be my friend or you don't want to be yeah. my friend? Which do you want to like, be? like, I would hate for something bad to happen. <laughs> it's like, okay. Ugh. Oh, my God. All right. And our last and final question is, again, from Kip, um, asking for a good book recommendation about the Book of the Dead that includes side-by-side hieroglyphs, transliterations, and translations. They're familiar with the budge one, but obviously dated. Oh, that's and so And so we hard. actually did research into this. Yeah, this is the only question I knew going into this, into this podcast Because we needed taping. to pull some, some rabby references. And I think yeah. from this, anyone listening out there, if they have an example... Tell us, but I don't think there is one. Side by side, That no. gives you all those side by side things. The best Sadly. one that I know for Book of the Dead is that big, large format, Book of Ani, mm-hmm. A-N-I, published by... It's oh, Faulkner and Gallet, I think. Faulkner is. and Gallet are the authors. So yes. Faulkner is the... It, Raymond Faulkner is dead, and he published the Book of the Dead decades ago, and they yep. used his translation, and then Ogden Gallet, mm-hmm. who is a an Egyptologist in New York, he updated it yep. and and made it work with the papyrus of Ani and they put the the papyrus itself in the top part and then the text that is associated with yeah. that down spells, below. Yeah. And then in the back, there's the rest of the Book of the Dead that's not in the papyrus yeah. Ani version of the Book of the Dead. And so you kind of have a whole, but you also have it visualized in papyrus form, which is really But you don't have helpful. transliterations. There's no transliteration. I don't know if any publications are going to give no. you that because it's very restricted then to Egyptologist use. It's not just that. Or like a, like a study use. Like I think a, it's not just that. I think it's that the Book of the Dead doesn't become systematized until quite late. Well, that's the other issue is that like what, what the Book of the Dead is our construct, right? Yeah. And in most cases, people are just having chapters of it or certain yeah. spells included. So if we're making a holistic, totally inclusive Book of the Dead, that yeah. doesn't exist in Egypt, right? We're we're combining multiple different papyri and multiple yeah. different things together to get this. Yeah. So I think that's the issue. If we're just doing the Book of Ani, that's not going to be everything. No. There's this other one um, of Sobek Mess, which I got because it's the earliest version. Oh, I don't know this which one. Which is a, it's a new one. They just released a work out of Brooklyn. Who? A work. Who I've never, I don't oh. know, um, but it's out of Brooklyn. Okay. Um, and it's Sobek Mess, which is the earliest version okay. of the Book of the Dead. Which is cool, but again, you're only getting this one. It's an early 18th dynasty. Mm-hmm. How many chapters? It's pretty, pretty complete. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, I'll have to look. Um, I have it. I can bring it over. Okay. Um, and then like the OI has one by Thomas Allen, the book. Yep. And again, I looked in the back, and it's just 
you know, all the different papyri that were consulted in the making of this compilation, but doesn't have images of the glyphs or doesn't have transliterations. It's mainly just translations of these things. Yeah, it's super um, frustrating. So you kind of, you know, it's not like the pyramid texts, weirdly enough, have been published better, I'd say. Yeah. But it's because there's only a couple of them, I guess, um, to work with. Where the Book of the Dead, you have so many limited, different... There's so many pyramid texts. But I, some of the best pyramid text publications are online. Yeah. That you can actually do mm -hmm. a word search. And... But you can get the glyphs really easily. Mm -hmm. and Alan's work or Faulkner's. Mm -hmm. Pretty good publications. But yeah, Book of the Dead, there's so many of different spells. And they're not... You know, it's not like the Bible. Well, again, it's kind of like the Bible where it was never... At one point, someone decided to compile these chapters and books yeah. together into one book. Um, and, and, and that's us. And like the, the Bible, the sometimes you'll take your updates and your glosses along with the yes. original text. And so-and-so might not include this one spell, but other one so-and-so does. Mm -hmm. And that spell is more complete versus this other one. Yeah. So it's And sometimes they run out of space on the papyrus mm -hmm. and then, you know, leave a certain part out. What I would suggest, if, if what you're looking to do, Kip, this is Kip, yep. right? If what you're looking to do is practice your hieroglyphic knowledge and be able to read back and forth and see the signs, et cetera, et cetera, and you're interested in underworld texts, then I would look at Eric Hornung's translations of Book of Gates and Amduat. R.I.P. Oh, yes, and Eric Hornung just died. Yeah, so R.I.P. Like three days ago. LPH to him. Yeah, no. I just saw it on Facebook. Yep. Um, he, he was a really interesting Egyptologist, interested in psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. um, He's the one I feel like that made Osman's work, because he translated a lot of it in, from German to English, so. No, you, you're thinking of David Warburton. Well, I think Warburton, I guess Warburton was the translator, but Hornung was the, maybe the editor, and Ma added preface. Maybe, yes. And Hornung and Osman were the great thinkers of their yeah. day. And they, and they cooperated with one another but had very divergent ideas mm -hmm. of what divinity was in yep. ancient Egypt, how the religious system worked, and their debates in book form are some mm -hmm. of the most interesting things you can read about ancient Egyptian religion. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I can think I think I'm thinking of the one Osman where or Cornung does like the introduction. Oh to okay. It as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think they were they were good friends, but mm -hmm. but Hornung and I don't think these are the ones with Theodore Apt A B T I think that they're solo, but I have to look. And they're black hardcovers. Um, I know he did at least Book of Gates and Book of the Amduat. And there you've got the imagery on the top. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the text with the Egyptian and translate. Oh, okay. I think maybe with the hieroglyphs there. I'm not sure. The hieroglyphs then translate, then translation. But it's not bad. Yeah. And yeah, I think you'd have to go like book by book or spell by spell and yeah. find like articles about those. And then you could get yeah, that's those true. three things. But yes. So... For, but not a complete book. Exactly. Like I'm thinking of, oh, who's the author that did chapter 151 of the Book of the Dead? Um, it's not um, Rita Lucarelli. I don't think she did that. Cassia? Um, no, it's a German author. It starts with an L. Um, mm, we'll look it up. Look up. Um, it's in German. Book of the Dead, spell 151. Um... I use it all the time. Because the, the 151 is the spell that appears on coffins. Yeah. And 161 as well. And so if you if you find a German dissertation, um, usually German, that's specifically yeah. devoted that's to... That's the other issue. It's going to be in German. It will so be in like, German. 
You're not a but German. I just taught this to, Remy taught me this, and I just taught it to a bunch of students, that if you get the Google Translate app, and you go to the camera feature, yep. you, can you can translate hold it over in real it. time. Hold it over. You can also and, Google yeah. Translate now. You can upload a PDF, and it will translate the oh, whole PDF. And it's sometimes like the formatting gets a little funky, but that's okay. you can just see it. Yeah. And it will just do the whole PDF. There's nothing more As long as it's OCR'd. Nothing more inclusive breaks down more gatekeeping than, than oh, that. Oh, 100%, yeah. Because who's able to, you know, learn their French and German mm-hmm. in their spare time? Yeah, so a lot of times you'll be looking probably more just at articles of specific spells. Mm-hmm. Um, just like Zeta or something have just like the glyphs available. Zeta, S-E-T-H-E. Yeah. So you can just get, you know, get the glyphs. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, it's messy just because it's not, we make it into the book of the dead. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that. Yeah. The book of going forth by day, yes. But, for the Egyptians, yeah. But it was much more loosely understood than mm-hmm. what we would understand of as a, as a book. Um, but, yeah, I think, yeah, not as accessible as the pyramid texts, interestingly no. enough. Even though the pyramid texts are inaccessible just because of what they are (laughs) and make no sense jeff's been reading them and like like as a joke he'll be like take for yourself the eye of horus for yourself like he's just like speaking them to me and i'm just like or thoth is the efflux of the eye of horus and it's like take a menhet jar of red of white stone and it's like it's crazy you know it's like these things you're like what again it's gatekeeping in the context it's a manufactured indispensability mm-hmm. for the priests. I can make this spell. The spell can get you this. You need me. Here is evidence of my spell making. It's cool. Um, it is very cool. Yeah. I'm not saying these things didn't work upon yeah. the human mind. We just are missing did. so much. <laughs> but um, but the way to understand the pyramid text, I don't, it's really tough. And if you know your old Egyptian, you're trying to translate these things. There, are, each spell has at least five different translations. Well, and then Jeff's just like, "Oh, I found a really old version of Mech," and I'm like, "Woo, yeah. <laughs> like, cool!" <laughs> but he's all excited. That's with good. two in the like, you know, the old Egyptian form or something like this. That's really funny. And behold, like, behold see. for yourself. Yeah. Do for yourself. Yeah. So. Oh my goodness. It's fun. We get excited about other things, like today. Mm-hmm. I was at my hypnotist who was yes. helping me to stop biting my nails and other things. Um, as, as you're picking at your nails right now. I know. I know I was. But in, picking at the polish. But anyway. That's uh, worse because then it will strip off the oh top God, layer. Shame me in front of our podcast audience. Look, I haven't been picking and mine are long. Oh, they are. But mine are long. Look, at, are and long, they're blue. Yeah. But I just picked at that. No picking. Just go get them fixed. I need to go get them fixed. As soon as I start picking at them because I also pick at the I gel. Know. Maybe I, I, should go, go. Like, I should go like after this. Just go. We'll see. Um was I talking about? Oh, my hypnotist. So I'm leaving the house. This is my last session. He's like, how do you feel? I'm like, this is great. I feel like I have a way forward, whatever. So it's what you do in Los Angeles. You know, everyone goes to Therapist, see hypnotist. hypnotist you you haven't been yet, but he's, he's awesome. I really liked him. And, and I walk by in this hallway and I go, oh, are those worth anything? And there are these two paintings on linen Ooh. that I can tell are 18th century. And I'm like, what's this? And he goes, oh, they're just Maria Teresa's Yes, the Empress, Empress of Austria. There are Maria Therese's um, banners that they would have walked in front of her carriage as she's going through Vienna. That's so I'm cool. like, no shit. And I looked at them and they have two sides to them. They're painted on linen. I can oh, tell wow. they were linen. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, that's linen tabby weave. He's like, it is linen. I don't know about tabby weave. And um, it was, and I'm like, you need to that's... get these conserved because the paint is yeah, going to Yeah, make sure they're off. not in the sun. And... They're not in the sun. Okay. But get the museum glass and all that good stuff. They're not in museum glass at all. They're need. just there. 
And he's like, oh, this this has got a hole and it's fixed with tape. I'm like, oh my God, oh, no. tape. You need, yes. I'm like, They're, that's going to oxidize and you need a conservator Come and it, it costs you money. But da, 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 da. But yeah, the Getty would love that because they're oh, all yeah. into 18th century decorative arts. Um, yeah. Do you know a decorative arts curator I could put them in touch with? I know Mate is doing um, RA work for the guy who does like the furniture. That would so help. He probably yeah, that's good. Is connected. That's good. Yeah. And this is because the, the Getty has a lot of 18th century stuff, yeah. either Viennese or French. I think they would really do yeah, it. Yeah, they, they're doing all the furniture. I'll put them in yeah. touch. But um, but I was just looking at this thing going, oh. That's awesome. And they were looking at me like, how do you know that that's important? I'm like, I mean. Just can tell. I'm an Egyptologist. That's I, really cool. Just, yeah. Just in flags. Yeah. Amazing. I wonder how that And it's a beautiful likeness market. of Maria Teresa. Just gorgeous. Oh, really? It's her face. It's her face. That's cool. And then her husband's face. And then her son on each side. Really it's cool. It's insane. Two sons on the yeah, other side. Yeah, you definitely get those conserved in some way. Oh they probably shouldn't be out. And I wonder where the rest of them are. You know that there are others out there. Oh, yeah. There. There's probably and a if, lot of them. And if you go to the Antiques Roadshow, they'll be like, well, we've just done research and we have found that there are four other pairs of yeah. these. And in a museum. And one's in the V&A and the other one's here. In this I mean, hypnotist house. One's at Charlottenburg in Vienna and it's yeah. crazy. So I saw those today. That's really cool. Yeah. It is really cool. Very cool. The fun things you find in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. LA is a here at the end hot of, mess of, of the Wonderland. World. <laughs> it is a hot mess of Wonderland. No water. I heard all the bees have to be fed water because I leave water out for our bees. Yeah, because they're yells all at me starving. and I'm like, I don't care. I'm leaving water out. Leave for the water bees. out. Do the bees come and drink the water? Well, by our garden plot, there's yeah. always bees around, so I leave like a little cup mm -hmm. of water. The, the, our fountain. So. The bees love it, and the birds just, need it. Yeah. Yeah, we have to all leave like water I want the bees out. to pollinate my plants. So yeah, exactly. They need water. And and for my, in the midst of this drought, when I'm doing the dishes, I have a bucket, a bowl that I leave to the oh, left. Smart. And then I, and I just, whenever there's, you know, you rinse your hands yeah. after doing something, I do it over the bucket. So Not if it's super it. gross, but you know, over the bucket. And then I dump that into the plants of choice. Yep. Because otherwise we're only just allowed to water down. once a week. Yep. Right now it may be late, nothing later. Well, and, uh. Mate was also saying that the Po was apparently historically low, too. Wow. So it's just like all of Europe is... What a hot mess we've gotten ourselves into. And still, Senator Manchin Oh, my God, go don't even himself. get me started. I just or that, that on one... Um, well, he, he's like or not totally to dead that. to me. Yeah. I will keep he's it. He's dead to it. You will keep it. He's awful. <laughs> and then that one from... Uh, that one House rep from uh, Texas that voted against... The House just voted on... The kind of legalizing, what? like instilling abortion within, you know, federal law. Whether to, oh, yes, yes. When they voted. To save the mother's to life. save the mother's life yes. and stuff. And yeah. this Democrat, quote unquote, oh from Texas voted against it. And I saw a bunch of Twitter stuff being like, how much money went to campa campaigning for mm -hmm. him from the mm -hmm. Democrat, the DNC and all this stuff. And he's not even voting party lines. And it's disgusting. It's like Joe Manchin. I'm like, just. Can we, like, vote him out? Like, get rid of him? But yeah, for, we're gonna for West to... Virginia, he's good. No, they love him. We're going to have to go through so much pain before people realize that they can't leave state lines without their negative pregnancy test. Mm -hmm. They can't. It's it's going to be a shit show. And then people will be like, oh, maybe oh, maybe I want my oh, no. freedom. Yeah. Um, and it's still happening in such a private space, the way people are talking about the 13-year-old victims of rape that they've treated, that they have had to travel and drive like 16 hours to get out of their state to someplace else. Yeah, um, already going through such a traumatic experience anyway. But people aren't, it's not, it's so private. But it shouldn't it's not just the be kind about of thing you scream the from the rooftops. No, it shouldn't. Absolutely not. Because like, that's, 
hopefully a very rare case. Yeah. But it's just people's privacy and right to make decisions for themselves. The number of people with rheumatoid arthritis that yeah, can't, can't even get their, get their med because it's because in a board effect fashion. Yeah. Yes, it's awful. Or like even companies being like like Apple or Uber being like, we'll pay for your abortion. Like who wants to go to their HR person and be like, hi, so I'm getting an abortion mm-hmm. and I'm going to be traveling outside. So can you reimburse me for this? Like no, one, you don't want to tell. That's your personal business. You shouldn't have to tell your company why you're going somewhere to do something. There is a reason that Roe v. Wade was upheld because of privacy. Yeah. (laughs) And all of this is being violated. All of it for our theocratic state. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, It's going to be an interesting 20 years is all I've got to say. So we'll just stay frosty and we will keep talking about it. And antiquity is relevant and we will continue to to link these two spheres of human human experience. So thank you all for your great questions. Yeah, they, they were, were wonderful. Fun. Love it. Um, we'll do another one next month mm-hmm. for August. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And if you're not a member of our Patreon and you want to yeah. ask a burning question, you need to get on it's there. It's only three bucks to ask a question. And you and then I post all my vacation pics onto the yeah, Discord. Yeah, you get vacation pics. <laughs> you get random chats. We chat all the time. Yeah, we're doing we do. our live event. will be happening in August. We're still deciding on the specific date, but it will be in August. With our patrons. With our patrons, get time just alone with us, Mm -hmm. and then we'll open up to everyone. Um, But if you're a patron, you get special one-on-one VIP VIP time. Yeah, and we'll call it it the after-party cocktail hour. Oh, yeah, that sounds fun. Something like that. Yeah, Yeah. and everyone brings their cocktail. Well, and tells chat. us what you have. He'll tell us what you have, and we and we just talk about everything and sundry. It'll be great. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. So be on the lookout for that. We'll send out emails and such, um, and post on the socials. Yay for all that. It's really good. And yeah. and watch out for our Substack too. Yep. We're always putting that out every week, and we're every looking Friday. at it's it's Jordan, me, and Amber, and we just look at what's out there in the news, what's interesting to us, not just Egypt by any means. No, I try. E- yeah. No, there's not always new stuff happening in Egypt. No. So some weeks there's no Egypt. Yeah. Just anything that's interesting yeah. to us. Any like we just have a text thread and we just send each other yeah. like interesting news stories we find and we're like, this was so cool. And yeah. That's how it's like gets the thing created. about my book being sent yeah, to your Liz book. Cheney. <laughs> <laughs> fucking insane. Uh, you'll see it in the subsect. It will be next week's subsect. Yeah. But it's I'm hilarious. also posting on Facebook today, so yeah. you'll see that. But, but yeah. anything and all that good stuff. Yeah. yeah, and we do have a Moon Knight Substack post coming out. I'm working on it. That's awesome. It just keeps getting longer and longer That's as I'm writing though. it, so it will be very in depth, but we'll be good. It'll be it'll be quoted for years to come. Hopefully, the Egyptological critique of it's Moon, our three Moon Knight. three Egyptologists take on Moon Knight. Well, I don't know so. about me. Am I? Do I have a take? Yeah, I'm gonna send it to you after, so you can <laughs> correct my. I'm trying to do like, okay, so like who actually, for example, who actually is Konsu? Um, and like the Egyptologicalness mm-hmm. of it, and then like looking at it within Moon Knight. So I love Kansu. He's a great god. Yeah, but Moon Knight. North South orientation. He is a living god. He is not a dead god. He oh, is right. a Netcher Nefer, not a Netcher Aa, right? Yeah. Because it's the the gods' temples like Edfu, Horus of Edfu, that is North South. Mm-hmm. Kansu right. Temple is North South. Um, Luxor Temple, uh, North South. It's yeah. an Amun and Ipit. It's a different version of yeah, Amun. Amun of the erect phallus, if you like, and then all the other ones are East West. Yeah. Those are the Netra Aas that are the solar like circuit. Doesn't get enough credit. We don't talk about him enough. Who? Kansu. No, we don't. We don't. But he is the king. Mm-hmm. He is the king. He is the son of the great god. And it's a weird thing that the the solar circuit is that East West constancy. But if you're human and living, you can make a turn. <laughs> and you can you can turn out of that solar mm-hmm. cycle 
And that shows that you're alive and not just going on this constant east-west yeah. circuit. Yeah. But anyway. I like it. You know I'm obsessed with those that 90-degree turn. So stuff like that will show up in the post. <laughs> yeah, it will. It will. And people will be like, I never thought about that. But anyway, yeah. Well, this was great. We'll see you all next time on... After Lives of Ancient Egypt with Kara Cooney and Jordan Gelsinski. Oh, that's a really long title. It's so long. But we, you know, that's, I just added After that lives. other part. Yeah. No, it's great. But, yeah. After Lives of Ancient Egypt. Thank you guys. And we'll talk soon. Yeah. Bye. Thank you to our listeners for your support and for subscribing wherever you listen. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with others and leave us a five-star review. Send us your questions related to the show and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. You can find the show notes in the podcast section of my website, karakuniegyptologist.com. For that, thank you, Amber Myers-Wells. There you'll also find info on my books and upcoming lectures. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for my newsletter to keep up on the latest news and content from me. Check out the conversations that happen after the podcast mic is turned off by subscribing to our Substack After Lives After Party. You can find me on Facebook at Kara Cooney Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Kara Cooney. See you next time on After Lives with Kara Cooney.